morning Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He, of course, is Isaac Fitzgerald. It's November 1st, All Saints Day. Shout out to Coco. <laughs> Remember me, darling. You're watching AM to DM. You sure are. God, I, I thought you were about movie. to break out into song there. No, I think we've all learned our lesson. <laughs> all right, very good. Here's a tweet from David Mack. Remember Parker Curry, the toddler who was obsessed with Michelle Obama's portrait? Her mom, Jessica, just sent me this Halloween update. Oh my God. Beautiful. Keep it up there. Just keep it up there. I just want to stare at it. Oh gosh, yeah. Pure joy. Let's just sage the timeline with this beautiful. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And look at that dress. It's beautiful. Somebody put work into that dress. Yeah, that's a beautiful dress. So, of course, Parker Curry is a toddler. We met her on AM to DM. She's so cute. One of the top five guests. Top Top five five guests, definitely. Top five guests. She saw Michelle Obama's portrait in the National Gallery in March of this year. This year. Which is crazy. It's crazy that this all happened uh, in the same year. Yeah. But let's move anyway, on past that. Yeah. We're not uh, feeling those vibes right now. Up, we're feeling Parker up, dressed up, up as Michelle Obama. Yeah, yeah. Painting vibes. That's what we're feeling. And then she got to meet Michelle Obama, who she refers to as Queen. Which <laughs> is so beautiful. So yeah, this week her mom, uh, Jessica, surprised her with this Halloween costume. And it is beautiful. I mean, it's Par- beautiful. Parker right? herself, I believe this is a direct quote, said, it's perfect when she saw it. Because her mom truly did surprise her with I it. I love it. It's so cute. Also, something else I love is that her little sister, Ava, uh, when they went trick-or-treating, was dressed as her police escort. Wait, what? <laughs> I love it. Like a little, like... Just like a little secret service oh agent. Oh, my I just- God. <laughs> So, good morning to Jessica and Parker and Ava. Mm. What a beautiful family. I, I love them. It I'm makes so me happy so, so happy. It's so good. So, speaking of trick-or-treating, uh, I also wanted to shout out these tweets from Hanif in Columbus, Ohio. First kid that came to the door last night was calling his dad by his first name. And I was like, damn, my dude, you're just calling my guy Rick like it's nothing? (laughs) At one point, Rick was like, no, it's dad. We've talked about this. And I was like, please just take this miniature Kit Kat. Please stop having this son-father fight on my front stoop. Take the candy and go. First of all, there are a few things funnier than a parent (laughs) in public having to say, we talked about this. That will always be... Funnier than a kid calling his dad Rick. There's that will always that be funny to yeah. me. But also then the awkwardness of you at the door, like I just I'm just, tried just trying to, to And Hanif did it, man. I was following him. Oh last night. yeah. Oh gosh. He, he went out to the corner. Great. He was giving candy out there. Yeah, tweeting about how the candies were doing, how they were selling on the streets. Absolutely. <laughs> how was your Halloween evening? It was well, it was a little awkward. Mm-hmm. I gotta tell you. You know, I like kids in the abstract. Mm-hmm. Um I live in a high-rise building um, that I moved to earlier this year, and I've been in New York for almost a decade now. I've never had people trick-or-treating in the building, like Mm. in the hallways, but it happened last night, and I was unprepared, Mm. sitting on the couch watching TV, um, and the doorbell, like, trick-or-treat, and I was like, oh, no. Did you, like, turn off the lights? I just, I was, like, under my, like, Outlander blanket. Shout out to you, Outlander. (laughs) Thank you for the comfortable blanket. And I turned down the volume. (laughs) I was just, like, waiting for them to leave. (laughs) It happened, like, two or three times. Okay. I didn't know that was a thing. I'm sorry. And listen, that happens too, because let's shout out to that. Halloween can be a stressful time sometimes. You get in a fight with your kid because he keeps calling you Rick. Uh, Trick-or-treaters show up (laughs) when you don't know what's going on. Maybe your kid's a little disappointed. Somebody's giving out toothpaste on the block because we don't stand for those guys. No way. But But. on Twitter, (sighs) it was actually a joy last night. I'm sorry. Shout out to everyone that posted pictures of themselves, Mm -hmm. their children, Mm -hmm. their babies, their pets. pets. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm here for Halloween 2018. It was great. We've got Lin-Manuel Miranda coming up with Halloween names for himself and every damn body who asked. (laughs) Ashley Pumpkin, um, Ashley Pumpkin, (laughs) Ashley Ford and all the babies in pumpkins. And y'all got Megyn Kelly the hell out of here. So you know what? (laughs) Bravo, Twitter, Halloween 2018. I like that you brought the news shout in. You got the news in there you. a little bit. Got the shout news out to you, Twitter. Got the news in there a little Amen. bit. Yeah, seriously, it was just a joyful evening. It was. I would argue one of the top days of the year on <sighs> Twitter. I enjoyed it. And we needed it. But not everyone nailed Halloween. Ted Cruz tweeted, <laughs> happy Halloween. And let's just leave that image. Look at that image Look at right that. there. Okay. That's the Zodiac image. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. To which uh, Dressed Wick replied, Ted Cruz is the only person who pretends to be a serial killer to be more likable. Yeah. yeah. About um, that. So there's a lot to say about Ted Cruz, Mm -hmm. um, but we only have an hour. So I will say this, you know, people did die 
<laughs> so a lot of people, people were that brutally murdered. Yeah, maybe not the funnest thing to joke about. On the other <laughs> side of it, people that made that a thing, Ted Cruz is the Zodiac Killer, mm-hmm. truly raised money against his campaign, See, and I did sold t-shirts. Like, it was a thing. So don't try to co-opt this thing that was used against you in like a fun and clever way. And then also, more to Saeed's point. Yeah. Like, I'm not mad about it. I'm just like, I don't know if this is what you want to do. If this is the way you want to do it. You know what I mean? But nothing you do is what I think you should do. So, being the Zodiac Killer, however, is not the only conspiracy theory dogging Ted Cruz. There's always more. Uh, here's a tweet from HuffPost senior reporter Michael uh, Maxwell Strawn. A story about a story. The National Enquirer's Ted Cruz JFK cover was supposed to be another silly piece of little consequence. Then Trump ran with it, much to the horror of some of AMI's own employees. Maxwell joins us now. Oh. Good morning, Maxwell. Hi, how are you guys? We're good. We're doing good, man. Did you have a good Halloween? Pretty good. Pretty low-key for me as well. Okay. Glad to hear it. Well, let's start with the conspiracy. Where did the Cruz JFK assassination story come from? Sure. So uh, in early April of 2016, this conspiracy theory blog called the Wade Madsen Report uh, put out a blog post say with these two photos of uh, Lee Harvey Oswald and... Uh, uh, passing out some pro uh, pro Cuba literature in 1963 in New Orleans, and uh, this conspiracy blog citing an unnamed source uh, said that that was uh, Rafael Cruz, Ted Cruz's dad. Uh, and so, from that, a couple weeks later, uh, you know, these uh, Enquirer employees looking for something to to put on the latest cover, and uh, they thought that looked good for good to them. It had the makings of a great Enquirer story, and uh, it was on the cover in a couple weeks. Okay, so the National Enquirer was doing what tabloids do, you know, aliens, you know, Bigfoot, Ted Cruz. Um, How do we get to Trump? And I think it's worth, if you can explain for people who may not know a lot about this, what is Trump's relationship to AMI? Sure. So uh, uh, AMI is run by this guy, David Pecker, and AMI is this sort of tabloid giant. They own uh, Radar Online, Us Weekly now, uh, but most most prominently in the last couple of years, they uh, own the National Enquirer. And Pecker and Trump have a longstanding relationship. They consider themselves personal friends. And uh, going back before Trump was even Running for president, Pecker was putting out favorable coverage for his buddy. He would give them uh, approval uh, via Michael Cohn to uh, look at these photos or texts or headlines and make sure it was all okay for them. So uh, that sort of extended into the campaign, and uh, they uh, would attack basically uh, Trump's opponents, whoever was gaining on him in the polls, according to a former employee there. So uh, from that, when Cruz was uh, his biggest competition, they were looking for something to say about him, and uh, they they landed on this in April of 2016, uh, the most outlandish thing yet. Wow. The most outlandish thing yet. So what was the reaction in the National Enquirer offices when they saw literally a major candidate for the Republican Party pick up the story and run with it? Well, I think uh, the important thing to sort of realize is like a lot of people uh, around the country, Enquirer employees also didn't really think Trump had a chance of winning the election. So uh, that when you ask yourself, well, why were they doing these things? Were they incredibly pro-Trump? Did they, like Pecker, really want uh, Trump to win? The answer is no, they, they didn't really think uh, that he had a shot and they just kind of thought all of this was a little, you know, silly. Who did, is the Inquirer story about JFK really going to uh, uh, change the election one way or another? I think a lot of them uh, maybe rightfully thought the answer was no. Uh, but when Trump uh, uh, took the story and uh, went on Fox and Friends and said, you know, why isn't this story getting more pickup? Uh, according to people I talked to, you know, they're they sort of laughed a little bit, but then they were also horrified that the story that they sort of knew uh, was bullcrap uh, was uh, was now suddenly driving the national conversation. It wasn't just that Trump uh, brought it up on Fox and Friends, but because you can't really say if you're like a breaking news reporter, you can't immediately say, oh, it's not Rafael Cruz. A lot of the headlines that came from it were, you know, Trump associate Ted Cruz, Ted, associates Ted Cruz's father with this person, links him. 
blah, blah, blah. And suddenly uh, the, the internet sort of ran wild with it and it was difficult to sort of stop it, as you, as you know, with a lot of the conspiracy theories that were uh, around the internet in 2016. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but where are we at with this story now? Especially we've got Cruz, midterm elections are five days away. Well, I think uh, the interesting thing is that uh, they, Cruz and Trump had a uh, tough relationship, I would say, for a little bit while, a little while after that. But uh, uh, as you know, probably uh, Trump was campaigning for Cruz last week, and uh, someone asked uh, uh, if he had any regrets uh, about saying these things about Rafael Cruz and. In 2016, and then Trump said something to the effect of, uh, uh, "No, I think it all worked out pretty nicely." <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Maxwell, thank you for the story. It is so interesting, and I think, frankly, illuminates a lot of what we now kind of understand about the relationship between Trump and news. Thanks, Maxwell. Sure. Sure. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. And also about the news and the way that it got us to 2016, which got us to here. If you ever accuse me of murdering someone, just know that I'm not going to be campaigning for you. Oh, really? Just assume that. Are you sure, though? I just understand that. Okay. Yeah. What if you actually murdered the person? Then we're fine. (laughs) Well, here's a tweet from Kimberly A. Martin. I really don't like water. Odell Beckham Jr. is literally me in this one instance. Takes another sip of coffee. Yeah, and so there in that that video clip, he's explained like he got cramps, I think, during a game, mm-hmm. and he's like, actually happens often because I don't drink water. Sometimes I just do an IV, and he's just like, I just don't like her. It makes me feel slushy. He's an athlete. He's a professional athlete. His body is a machine. <laughs> I love water is the so gasoline up, like, of, like, of the uh, body. <laughs> I drink like 10 cups of water before we even get to stage in a day. Yeah, I don't know. Isaac drinks coffee, but I'm drinking water every morning out of my mug. I'm very pro-water. Here's the thing. That tweet uh, inspired Quinn Myers to write this article for Mel Magazine. Meet the hydro-haters, the people who refuse to drink water no matter what. Listen, man, I'm not big on hate reads, but this was my hate read of the day. It was fascinating. It was fascinating. There's a dude that's like, I go to yoga, but I don't bring water. I bring Merlot. (laughs) What are you doing? You're sitting in a yoga studio, and you look over, and a dude's just drinking purple. Yeah. Mm. Someone else was like, I I never drink water before, during, or after a workout. I just drink coffee. Uh, Someone else, Lori Cheek in particular, said she's landed in the ER three times due to severe dehydration. She simply refuses to touch the stuff. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, I've tweeted about this story twice because I think it's so crazy. But a lot of people, y'all have been outing yourselves as as hydro-haters. So... (laughs) Hydro-haters. Unhealthy people! (laughs) Imagine my horror then when I saw this tweet from one of our own AM to DM producers, Caroline Moss. Finally, I'm not alone. What?! Caroline! I can't. All right, we're doing this out of love, okay? We are. Caroline Moss, author of the best-selling book, Hey Ladies, joins us now to be, let's be honest about it, let's be honest about it, to be interrogated. Hi, Caro. Hey, guys. I'm sorry Odell (laughs) Beckham Jr. couldn't make it. I'm so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Don't try to butter us up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, we're here. I'm going to get mad auntie on you. I'm ready. And shame me. I just, boy, I wish you had a bottle of water. I don't need it. I think we, let's, oh, do we? I don't want it. I think it's this. There you go. Drink some water. I'm going to put it up for display. Let's start here. (laughs) Yeah. What the fuck? Okay. Why? I don't have a t- an answer for you. I didn't know that. Like, I don't like. I wasn't like. I'm a hydro hater. Like, I didn't think I was a part of a club. Okay. So this article was pretty. You found some people here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was just me. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, like, this has been a problem ongoing since my childhood. My yeah, I was about to say, to, were you like this as a yes, kid? Yes, my parents had to like take me to the doctor, and then she doesn't drink water, and the doctor was like, make her drink water. But look, I'm like 30 years still alive. It's good. What, 30 years still alive? Still alive. What <laughs> is it about water? Because here's the thing. Yeah. Part of this makes me think of cilantro. Right. I'm like, right. are we actually discovering that 0.02% of the population or something like hates the taste of water? Like, right. Is it the taste? Is it the feel? Like, what do you not like about water? Maybe like the absence of taste. It like just doesn't like do anything for me. I mean, <laughs> keeps you alive. Okay. So they so they say. Uh, no, no, like, I just don't really like it. You're sending Isaac mm. into the higher vocal <laughs> registers. Would you um, like some got him yeah. I'm drinking water out of stretch. I did want to ask you. Yeah. So, because I, you know, I like sparkling water. I like mix it. I'm drinking sparkling yeah. water right now. Does that help? No, I don't like seltzer either. Okay. When was the last time you drank water? Um, well, I had it this morning because I felt shame. So, like, this is what will happen. So, like, months will go by. Okay. 
I won't drink like any water. Like I was for in. Months? I mean, like I was in California for like five days, and I had maybe the equivalent of like one cup Even of water. Even in the summer, like hot. Yeah, I mean, when I am when I need water, I like go for it, and that happens maybe like once a month. <laughs> like once a month, you sit down and you're like, I'm going. Yeah, for yeah, it. yeah. Like so, this morning when I felt the shame, I was like, okay, I'm gonna drink like like I'll go like heavy. It's like people are like, I'm gonna run like 17 miles and you then binge. never run it. Yeah, I binge on water and then I never see it again. And like one time, I went like, Carol, a, I'm speechless. I know. I'm sorry. And like this is embarrassing. No, no, but one time what? One time in, well, okay, so a few years ago I went to Florida, I woke up in the middle of the night with like extreme pain in my chest. It was like the worst thing I've ever felt. They couldn't figure out what it was. It was not about hydration or whatever. Okay. But they take me to the hospital and they put an IV in me. Mm -hmm. And I start to feel, the pain is still there, but I'm starting to feel amazing. Because okay. the like, IV's just like standard. Yeah, yeah, it's just, I don't know what's uh -huh. in it. I'm uh -huh. just like, I feel so good. Uh -huh. Like I can, I'm oh, like, ooh. I'm like, let's go, let's go to uh -huh. like run a lap. And I'm like, what is in this? And the nurse is like, it's water. <laughs> and so I know, oh, but I like can't get myself to like get there. You know what I mean? It's like, I know it makes okay. me feel good. I once did a whole week in January where I had like the recommended water a day. And you, and you told me this, because we've been talking to Carol about this all more. Poor yeah, Carol. Uh, you've tried like apps. I've done everything. I did the plant nanny, which gives you a little plant, uh -huh. and then you um, water the you plant. went every time you drink a water, you water the plant, and then the plant goes. My plant's always dead. It's like a skeleton by the end of You've the. Tried different kinds of. Nothing bottles. will help. I've bought every water bottle. I've bought cute water bottles. I've bought like smart water bottles. I just like don't want water, and so I can't like. Well, I have to tell you what's what. What has been fascinating yeah. when I tweeted that you were going to be on the show, a lot of people in the mentions were like, "Oh, I also don't like water." So we're going to take yeah. this to the timeline. Yeah. Mm. Children. How do you feel about water? I didn't How realize. How do you feel about staying alive? I thought we were all on the same page here, yes. but let us know what you think about water using the hashtag AM to DM. I, and I just gotta say, I at least accept and acknowledge that you know that it's a problem. I so do. thank you for saying that. I want that. so badly to like it. somebody in this article was like, big water. Oh yeah, no. I'm the conspiracy theory guy, but I know no, no, that no. water is important. I'm an idiot. <laughs> and that's fine. There's no such thing as big water. Okay. I right. am the problem, but I'm not drinking anything. Well, so. thank you so much for joining us <laughs> to discuss this me. issue. Later in the show, Alan Leach from Bohemian Rhapsody joins us. But up next, it's Fire Tweets. Before that, though, please drink some water. I'm drinking water drink right now. Water. I'm stressed out. Just, stress me out. A little water. I'll consider. Just like a little water. Okay, this is for you, Carol. Chug, 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 chug. Come on. Ah, it's delicious. Oh, literally just talking. It was like yawning or something. Just talking about not drinking water made me want to drink water. Water saves lives. They make fun of me here in the studio because I go through so many bottles of water. You do, actually, I every love, morning. Yeah. They have to bring him extra water between um, takes. So we have a, a tweet here from Blasian FMA. Actually, I can't find it. Um, but you were saying that just seeing that segment made you so thirsty, Jay, that you, oh, there we go. You walked into the kitchen and drank water out of the faucet with your hand. Yeah. Good, I, good. I hope everybody did. I just, you know. I didn't know that this was a crisis our country was facing. <laughs> I really didn't know it was so debatable. Anyway, All right, anyway. from water to fire, let's do the fire <laughs> tweets. Xander, you tweeted, job interviewer, it says on your resume that you went to Harvard University. Me, yeah, I was visiting a friend. <laughs> <laughs> When uh, I was in college, um, I had some former debate students who ended up going to Yale or graduate school, um, and I visited them, and they got me like a Yale speech and debate hoodie, mm. and I would wear it when I was traveling, and I noticed that I definitely received better customer service as a young black man traveling by himself. Stand. Know me. All right, this week <laughs> comes from Jamie Lynn. It kills me. Black people. <laughs> are the biggest recyclers of plastic bags. So when you see a turtle choking, don't look at us. <laughs> All of our plastic bags are in the cabinet under the sink. <laughs> Which, I mean, it tracks. It, it tracks. tracks. Now, how are you on plastic bags? I mean, bags? let me tell you. Tons of plastic bags under my. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna speak for all white people, but I'm just gonna say for me, I too. It's something my mother taught me to do. Uh -huh. It's ridiculous. Like I can't get never like my soap. 
or anything that's in there because it's just you open that cabinet yeah. and it's like an avalanche of plastic. Bags. I like I like a no plastic campaign, like you know all the straw debate, but it's just picture of people showing like opening the cabinet and showing <laughs> off their like plastic cabinet. Do you have a lot of plastic? Of course, of course, <laughs> never use them. Do you ever take the plastic bag out, tie it on the handle, and start putting plastic? No, bags I do. In? All, right, all right, bags and bags and bags. Bags and bags. Here uh -huh. we go. <laughs> Dwayne Perkins, you tweeted, if you are ever with me and someone comes up to me and starts talking and I do not introduce you. It is strictly because I don't remember their name. So please feel free to be a dope person and introduce yourself so I can hear said name and pretend I knew it the whole time. That's just common courtesy. Yeah, yeah. That's just common courtesy. Yeah. Now, you know, it's just us and all of Twitter here, so I will say, I do this all the time. 100%. All the time. I am really bad with names, great with faces, um, but whew. I'm bad with both. Live in the light, <laughs> just admit who you are. The other thing I like to, is when I'm with somebody I'm, I really do know well, but we're seeing somebody, I'm like, this is Saeed, and then I like, Look at the other person, really hope they just start to introduce themselves, <laughs> even though I should know their name. It's hard. We all live that way. Be kind. Okay, this tweet comes from Huey. Huey? <laughs> um, okay. Um, from the Bible. Oh, exciting. Okay. Apostles, let's get this bread. Jesus. I don't know, man. Make it sound fancier. Apostles, give unto us our daily bread. Jesus. Perfect. <laughs> Now that that's that's right out of that's right out of the New Testament, right? Yeah, give I know it's been a while since I've read the Bible, but I'm pretty sure that's, that's my new way of saying gonna get this bread. Okay. Given to us our daily bread. Amen. You ready for tweet of the day? Of course. Tweet of the day comes from Corey Richardson. First day as bartender, her pina colada, please. Me, okay, her. Can you make it, Virgin? Me, trying not to cry. Yes, I know how to make it. And this one took you a minute. Took me a minute. It literally took me an hour and a half. <laughs> I was laughing at it because I thought it was a tweet about a stressed out bartender who's like, okay, I can make like the easiest thing like, and I'm all stressed out. I didn't realize it was a virgin joke. No, it's like, can you make it virgin? <laughs> I didn't it's realize. how he, it's, well, one, it's one of those tweets that's fun to read too. Fun. Sometimes I have my moments of innocence. Okay, so <laughs> based on my wild misinterpretation of this tweet, let's take this to the timeline. If you were to bartend today at like a high pressured New York City bar, it's crowded, it's happy hour, what is the one drink you could reliably make under pressure? Let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. I'm gonna start with you. You, of course, has been a bartender, firefighter, all kinds all, of things. All, sorts all kinds of, of things. Uh, what, what drink would you make? Let me tell you, it's been a little while since I've been behind the bar. Uh -huh. I still think I could probably pull off an old fashioned maybe. Oh. But listen, mixing drinks is hard. It's yeah. no joke. What about you? I can make a damn good tequila shot. <laughs> No me. I thought you were gonna say tequila like, sunrise. Like, we're swirling. Tequila. Like, ow! Ow! Make another. You want another one? Ow! Bow! Yeah, you wasn't live. Chop, 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 chop. Yeah, that's me. I'm back. You're hired. You're hired. Thank I'm gonna you. start a bar just to hire you. <laughs> Listen, coming up, I sit down with Alan Leach from the new movie Bohemian Rhapsody. But up next, we are going live from the district. Stick around. Welcome back. We are going live from the district with BuzzFeed News politics reporter Nitty Prakash. Good morning, Nitty. Hi, morning. Hi. All right, Nitty. Where do you stand on the hydro haters? Do you hate water? You know what? This is where I stand. Just drink the damn water. You know, we have enough problems. We have enough problems. I love it. And since we're live from the district, yep. I'm telling Isaac, I've actually been working on linking drinking water to anxiety and stress. So that when I'm like stressed out, I'll like, oh, go get some water because I'm stressed out all the time, you know? So let's talk about politics. <laughs> I like that you were like, because we're talking about district. Because I of this, here's it. a tweet that will stress me out from BuzzFeed News. <laughs> Iowa Representative Steve King's racist comments and ties to white supremacists are finally starting to cost him supporters in November of 2018. But fellow Republicans still expect him to win. Uh, Nitty, why now? I think I speak for every person of color when I say that. Steve King has never shied away from making racist comments. Right, yeah. I mean, he has, as you said, openly allied himself with neo-Nazis, has, you know, made all kinds of racist, Islamophobic, anti-Semitic comments in the past. 
You know, it's possible that it's because um, of the fallout of this awful church shooting in a synagogue in Pittsburgh on Saturday um, that that's part of the conversation now. But, you know, it's still kind of hard to understand why this is having an impact now because, I mean, we've seen other flashpoints in the last couple of years, uh, the Charleston Church Massacre, Charlottesville, all opportunities where, you know, like people who were backing him could have re examined what they were doing. And it, they didn't at that point. So it's a little mystifying why this is happening right now. All right, and I gotta ask, why does he seem to have such a strong hold on his seat, mm. given his past? Mm -hmm. So this is a rural conservative district that he's been carrying for years really solidly. And I think that that's you know, part of the reason that um, the Republican Party is, feels, appears to be pretty confident that he's going to continue to carry it despite all of this. Despite all of this. Because that's, yeah, again, I, I, that's what's fascinating, not just him as a person, but of course, he's literally representing people that have been okay with it. Well, how is he doing in the polls against his Democratic uh, competitor? He's still ahead, it looks like, um, according to most polls, pretty solidly. Um, so it seems like, at least in terms of the polling, it hasn't really had an effect so far in his campaign. Um, some of his, uh, his sponsors have uh, decided that they're not going to back him anymore, so we'll see if that has any effect going forward. Um, it's unclear whether there are actually going to be any direct repercussions for him, though, between now and next Tuesday. Wow. Um, and I did want to ask, because, of course, this is an issue that has been raised by the president in the last few days. Has Steve King commented on the president's uh, comments about birthright citizenship? So Steve King has been a huge backer of this, uh, of this idea since way back. So he's actually introduced um, a bill every single uh, session of Congress since 2011 Ooh. proposing uh, rolling back birthright citizenship. So this is very much in his arena. This is kind of his comfort zone. He's very much behind this proposal. Wow. Very much behind this proposal. Wow. Well, as I feel like I'm saying a lot these days, we got five days to see how it's going to play out. And as we head into midterms, right. we wanted to highlight two races that interested us because they're so weird. weird. They're weird. so particular. Yeah. Uh, let's start with this tweet from Darren Sands. A self-styled and supremely confident Democrat running in a Trump district, Matt Rose's campaign pokes and prods at almost every political convention of the 2018 midterm elections. Mm. Nitty, why is Rose, a Democrat, mm -hmm. taking a play out of the Trump playbook for this race in Staten Island? So this is a really interesting one, I think. Um, you know, as you said, uh, Staten Island did vote for Trump. It's there are a lot of really, you know, ardent Trump supporters still there right now. Um, and I guess basically what he is hoping for is to paint himself as a kind of idiosyncratic, I'll work for you kind of candidate as opposed to being a party man, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and I'm just curious, I mean, if you could just say more, why does he need to feel the need to campaign this way? Like one of our um, producers this morning mentioned that on his website, you actually have to kind of look to even see that he's a Democrat in terms of how he identifies on the website. Right, right. it is, I think, like it's, it's partly just because he's in uh, this district that did, you know, heavily back Trump. Um, is still continuing to support Trump. Um, I can't remember what the most recent polling on that was, but definitely uh, quite recently there was polling that showed that people in this part of Staten Island are still fully behind the president. Um, so in that kind of environment, um, trying to appeal to people as a kind of uh, self-made idiosyncratic candidate in the style of Trump um, is something that he seems to have landed on as a strategy. That's so interesting. Okay, so in that race, we have a Democrat in New York who is willfully trying to line himself up with Trump and, and Trump politics. Let's go to the other side of the spectrum. We have a tweet here from Henry Gomez. At a time when other Republicans would drop everything to rally with Trump, Mike DeWine is still not sure he can clear his schedule for Trump's Monday rally in Cleveland. So I love it. He's like leaving those texts on red uh, from Trump. <laughs> So what's up with DeWine's relationship with Trump? So basically, this is, I think, like quite a revealing um, race as well. Basically, what he's trying to do is to kind of balance out, uh, you know, his allegiance with Trump with his allegiance to John Kasich, who, of course, clashed majorly with Trump in the 2016 primaries. And since then, they've had a pretty sour relationship. Um, so this really um, is, uh, is this candidate trying to sort of like please both sides in a way in this. Um, and uh, I guess part of that is uh, kind of uh, giving the president a soft answer on his rally next Monday. Hmm. Give him the old soft answer. Now that is obviously this is one <laughs> specific race, but is there something to be read here? Is there a broader tension between uh, certain members of the GOP and Trump now? Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, definitely, I think there are certain uh, figures that Trump has really openly clashed with, and it puts people who uh, rely on those people or who have been supported by those people in the past in this kind of position where they're trying to sort of like balance up those allegiances. All right. Well, Nitty, um, I've had, I've almost emptied my mug of water uh, during this conversation. Thank you for joining <laughs> us this morning. Good on you. <laughs> Thank you so much. I love that. Good on you. Good on you. Nitty. Uh, well, friends, of course, there are only five days until midterm elections, which means it's five days until BuzzFeed News' own election night special, hosted by David Mack, Catherine Miller, and Brandon Finnegan, the number guy. Uh, that's Tuesday, November 6th, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern. And, I mean... I think, of course, every election night show is worth watching, but there are a lot of very close races. There's a lot of tight neck and neck races. Yeah, so races within the margin of error. Go vote. Yes. And then go watch the election night That's coverage. Absolutely. True. Well, listen, up next, I sit down with Alan Leach, who stars as Freddie Mercury's personal manager in Bohemian Rhapsody. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I want to sing a Queen song now. <laughs> the sit down and I'm here with Alan Leach who stars as Freddie Mercury's personal manager in the new movie Bohemian Rhapsody. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good thanks you. I, I'm doing good. I just want to let the audience know why I'm cracking up is you basically just spoke to me completely in Queen lyrics. We're having a good time having a good time. <laughs> Nothing's gonna stop us now. <laughs> Stop. Are you, are you You're going to put yourself under pressure. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, so the first question I had yeah. for you was, were you a fan of the band before the project? But I'm guessing... Yeah, I was. I was. Um, my dad was a big fan, so I grew up listening to, to Queen and kind of through osmosis learned songs that I never... You know, not just the popular ones, all the ones that my, my old man loved, uh, like uh, Seven Seeds of Rye, you know, oh, Seven Seeds of Rye, all the different songs that kind of set that band up. Yeah. So when I got the opportunity to be part of it, I mean, that was... I, I was so excited. Obviously, my dad, the first question was, are you in the band? I was like, no, no. So, I'm and, the fifth Beatle. And, and I got to because you do, you play as manager. Yeah. Were there moments, because those rock and roll scenes, those stadium scenes were just so amazing. Yeah. Did you get a little jealous? Were you like, hey, can I come on 100%. stage for a minute? Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. <laughs> I, and when my first day when I arrived on set, the boys were already filming the Live Aid section. And I got to walk on set, and they were all sitting there like, and setting up their, the equipment. And I was so jealous. Did, like... To recreate that, it's pretty special. Yeah, incredibly special. And to hear that and to have those cheers. Um, but what kind of, you know, for your character, what kind of research did you have to do? Because you grew up listening to music. Yeah. But it's not like you grew up knowing about the manager. No, I didn't know anything about Paul Prenter when, uh, when I, until I read the script. <laughs> and uh, I originally actually went for a different part. I went for the role of Jim Hutton, who was Freddie's lover until he died. Mm. So it was much later on uh, in his life. But Paul Prenter was his personal manager, who first worked for the band and then worked for Freddie on his own. He was a gay man like Freddie and they were both quite closeted about their sexuality. So they became very good friends, he became a confidant and he gained a lot of power over, over Freddie's decision making. Mm -hmm. And he actually took Freddie away from Queen for two years and they, he recorded two albums in Munich. Mm -hmm. But also he gave him access to the kind of underground gay scene that was happening. And that's why Freddie kind of had him around. And, and kind of and, and kind of kept connected to that. The the movie has been criticized for kind of glossing over uh, Freddie's sexuality. Yeah. Uh, do you think it, it does a, a good portrayal of, of both his sexuality and him as a as a as a full figure? I think it does. I mean, it it deals with all elements of his sexuality. He was engaged to Mary Austin for a number of years, and then it, it also deals like he there's talk that he had possibly a relationship with Paul Prenter. That's shown. And then his relationship with Jim Hutton. I, I don't think it glosses over it at all. It doesn't go into the salacious, like, debauchery, but it's also PG-13, so we can't. Okay, that's, it's, I mean, it's PG-13, yeah. like you said. Um, when you were growing up, I did want to ask just one last, last question about the music. Did you ever do that thing? I feel like Queen especially is one of those bands where everyone hears the lyrics a little bit. Did you have any lyrics that you totally miss here? Or could you always nail them? I think, I think um, my, my, my old man had a couple of them, like, but, like as your dad does. But I actually don't <laughs> think that I... No, I think I could nail it. Well, did you have any? No, no, no I, no. I wanted to know what your dad's were. I also love how much of an influence your dad had on, on how much you no, love this did. band. Well, he also, because he's a guitar player, and he taught me, or taught me how to play the guitar as well. So. Okay, yeah. so you're a musician too, so you really were missing out on I was, band yeah. scenes. And the, there was one scene though, I did get my own back when all the boys were up and they were recreating the first time they were on top of the pops with Killer Queen. Uh -huh. And Brian May and Roger Taylor were there. 
And I just went up to the guys just before they started and went, just, you know, this is like one of the most iconic moments in this band's history and two of the members are there. No pressure. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. You're like, I've been good on these lyrics. I've yeah, been, good. Exactly. I've been yeah. very, very yeah. good on these lyrics. Uh, listen, you're also in Downton Abbey. Yeah. You, you tend to play, you're in Rome. You play a lot of period pieces. Is I there do, something yeah. that draws you to that? Um, I don't know. Maybe I have a, a period drama face. <laughs> you know? But, uh, but in fact, like, I just go, I'm getting the face takes here. like Rome. I did the Tudors as well. So, so you know, I'm, I'm slowly moving forward. And this is the 70s and 80s. Next one will be the 90s. Yeah, and then Early 2000s. 2000s. And then finally we'll do a, a modern ready day. For, are you ready for a modern one, do you feel? Not yet. I, need, I think I need to go through <laughs> the, the 80s and 90s and then I'll be ready. You really, you yeah. got a little OCD about it. You yeah. really want to make sure exactly. you hit them all. Um, and you also, I mean, you've got a, the, the Downton Abbey movie coming out. Yeah, just wrapped on that on Monday and flew straight to New York. So what was it like set. to return to that character? It was great. It's, it's one of those things, you know, you play someone for six years. I'd never done that before. And the, I had a big worry going back. I was like, oh, how did he, because my accent's slightly different in that show, obviously because it's more of a period Irish accent. So you're going, okay, I hope I can do that again. And then the weird thing is, the minute you put the costume on again, you go back to that house. It just, it happens like that. It just happens. Yeah. How many different accents do you have to be able to cover? A lot, but you have time. I mean, if you get told you're, you're playing a role and uh, like, it, Paul Prenter's Northern Irish, which is a very different accent to mine. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have to, you have that time to prepare yourself and, and work on that. And there was a couple of sound bites of Paul Prenter. There's not a lot of video evidence of him, mm -hmm. but I was able to use that. Yeah. And, and when you're researching something, you find those those things. How else did you find out about his life? Uh, through books. There's a lot of biographies, obviously, and a lot of uh, books have been written about Queen and and their meteoric rise. So I was able to use a lot of that. But because Paul Prenter existed, he died about eight months before Freddie Mercury did of an AIDS-related illness. And you feel there's an obligation to try and portray that person as accurately as you can in his mannerisms and his physicalities. So I scoured every documentary there was to find footage of him. Mm. There's actually quite a lot of him, very much like in the movie, where he's just always right behind Freddie. He's always around, always whispering in his ear always kind of having that control over who Freddie talks to. And, 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 and being in the background in yeah. that way. Was there one of the books that you really loved? Is there one that you... Um, there's a, well, there's a great Bohemian Rhapsody is a book as well. Uh, that was really good. And there's a great documentary called The Great Pretender. If anyone's a fan of Queen, it's an amazing documentary to watch. Awesome. Or you could just go see the movie, which is out tomorrow. You just stole my line. <laughs> I was about to say Bohemian Rhapsody is in theaters tomorrow. Yeah. It's a great start to your weekend. Do you have any one last one last uh, lyric you want to go out with? Um, uh, no, I don't know. Uh, I want to ride my bicycle. Yeah, all right, we're gonna go <laughs> let him ride his bicycle. Up next, Stephanie talks to Katie Natopoulos about a fancy bird that just made a home in New York. That's one of my favorite songs too. Oh yeah, great one. His head looks like a punk rocker's multicolored mohawk. Beneath his black eyes, fringed orange feathers splay across his dark purple chest. His bill is covered a striking hot pink and sits under an emerald green forehead. Whew! Sounds great. That is an excerpt from New York Times writer Julia Jacobs describing the city's hottest new celebrity, the Central Park's Mandarin duck. And joining me now is bird enthusiast and BuzzFeed News senior <laughs> editor, Katie Natopoulos. Katie, I'm so glad you're here and we have a bird enthusiast on staff. Um, I am very happy to be here. There are several bird enthusiasts at BuzzFeed. Really? There's like a, we, we find each other. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. You're just the most yeah. vocal, maybe. I, I, I like to crow about it. <laughs> Good one. All right, so the Mandarin duck, a lot of people in New York are tweeting about it. Our old coworker Safna tweeted about it this morning that mm -hmm. she saw it. And the cut called him New York's most eligible mm. bachelor. So please tell me from a bird expert perspective, what makes him so special? So this is not a duck that is normally in New York City or even North America. Uh, this is, it, it lives in Asia, East Asia. Um, and so it's either like a random migrant or an escapee from a zoo, although apparently like the local zoos have all said that's not one of ours. Um, or most likely it's probably someone's pet that escaped. Um, which I guess people keep ducks as pets. I don't know. Like maybe if you have like a mansion, you want to stock it with like really fancy looking ducks. That's what I would do. 
Has there been any sort of investigation into how this bird got in New York? Well, I think so. They reached out to the zoos to find out, like, hey, can you count your ducks? And are there any? Get all your ducks in a row. Are there oh, any missing? That's a good one. Um, but, you know, just I guess at this point they kind of assume that it's, you know, it's an escaped captive bird and it seems to be healthy. They, I guess they were saying they would only, um, you know, take it in if it seemed like something was wrong, but this happens. Like there are weird migrants that come from far off, like birds that shouldn't be in New York City occasionally show up here. This happens every year. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, there was uh, an African heron that like showed up in Coney Island. And that was kind of exciting because like that bird definitely like flew here. Like that wasn't someone's pet that escaped. Like occasionally this happens. There'll be like a crazy bird that like has flown a really, you know, blew off course when it was migrating or something and got here. So they're just going to leave it there. It's going to create like a, it could create a lineage of like half Mandarin duck, half normal ducks. I don't know. Well, that is an interesting question. It's closely related to the North American wood duck, which if you like sort of see it, it has sort of similar like ostentatious colors, but I don't know if it could actually mate with one. I don't know. I guess we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> so a Good lot luck, of, duck. A, lo a lot of people, I feel like, they go, oh, New York, it's so, mm -hmm. you know, city, no one really cares about nature. There's actually, for those of you who don't know, a huge birding community, specifically in the park and around the New York area. Can you tell us all about that a little yeah. bit? So the, New York is situated on what's called, I think, like the the eastern seaboard flyway um, and partly because we're such a densely urban you know area central park is this one giant green spot so if you're a bird flying migrating up on your way to canada or the north pole or wherever um, you see central park and you're like ah oh, sounds great i'm gonna stop here for a little bit so you actually get like an amazing array of migratory birds coming through uh, so there are a lot of birders because it's also, you know, in a really concentrated little area. It's easy to go, spend 30 minutes looking around, you know, a sort of square acre or so, and you can find all sorts of amazing birds. Yeah, I was running in Central Park in May, and it was a Saturday morning, and I saw probably 100 people staring at one bird. Yeah. And I <laughs> kind of stopped and took some photos and was trying to figure out what the bird was. My mom is actually really into birding. Shout out, mom. So I had to get the bird for her. I believe that was actually the Kirkland's Warbler. It I was the that, Kirkland's yeah. Warbler, That yeah. was a big thing. It came in May. I believe it's, a, it's normally only in... Um, it, it just not this part of the country. Yeah. It would be. So this was another case of like a bird that just flew off course and should not have been in New York City and all of a sudden here it was and it was really exciting for people to come and see it. So now that I know about this duck, I might, I run pretty much every day in Central Park, so I'm going to go and see if I can try to find it. Are you going to go and try and find it? I'm going to try to get there. I might I might take a little long lunch hour and go scope out the bird. Supposedly it's been hanging out at the, the pond that's close to the sort of 59th and 6th Avenue entrance. That's easy enough. Yeah, yeah. That's research. It's research for yeah. it's research for news. You gotta exactly. go do it. You gotta exactly. go do it. All right, well, Katie, thank you so much for joining us. And Twitter, we want to hear from you. Should we name this fancy duck? What should it be named? Tell us using the hashtag AMCDM. Up next, Saeed is talking with the founder of Well Read Black Girl. Jacqueline Rose, you tweeted this, I love well-read black girls, such an empowering example of what women of color can make and create. The feeling is mutual, Jacqueline. Joining me now is Glory Edom, uh, the founder of Well-Read Black Girl. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Thank you the for having me. The studio just got a little brighter, a little bit more beautiful now <laughs> that you're here. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. On the Well-Read Black Girl anthology. Okay, so here's the thing. If people don't know, Well-Read Black Girl started off as a t-shirt? Yes. And now, of course, it's, it's a community and it's a book anthology. Yes. How, tell, tell us about this journey. Yes, so, it was a t-shirt, my boyfriend got it for me for my birthday, uh -huh. and from there I was out in the community, people would see it, ask me questions, uh -huh. then it went from Instagram, to newsletter, to book club, to festival, to book. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I love it. I mean, you know, obviously, as a writer, as a sometime editor, um, you know, we know that the publishing industry is 89% yes. white last time mm -hmm. I checked, and that's a pretty persistent yeah. number. Um, so, obviously, I think we understand why it's important to create a community for black women and girls um, in publishing, mm -hmm. um, but what what has it been like? What, what are some of the changes you've seen as your community has developed? Like you said, you have a festival. Yes. Well, 
all of it is just community building and supporting one another. And our goal is to always amplify the voices of black women. This book allows us to tell our own stories, mm -hmm. allows us to show that there's just viability mm -hmm. when it comes to our stories and black women in general. I love it. There's always, there's this misconception that like no one is buying our books, mm -hmm. that there's not a community, mm -hmm. there's no one supporting it. And that's completely false. Mm -hmm. And I've seen communities, um, People just like come together in the book club and help each other and support each other and serve as like a support group. Absolutely. So, and, and one reason, and this is an anthology, one reason I love anthologies mm -hmm. is that if you are not, if you're not someone who feels like you're in sync, you're not in the publishing, the literary, da 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 yeah. da, da da you know, anthologies are an opportunity to meet, you know, so many writers, certainly, you know, established names, right. but also writers you maybe have not heard of. And this changed my life. Like anthologies of black gay poets, for example, yeah. when I was younger, opened my world. So who are some of the writers that we will be introduced to in this anthology? Oh, completely. So Jacqueline Woodson is in the science Anthology, Jasmine Ward, Queen, Rebecca Walker, love her, Gabby Sibdine, life, yes, like ah! I mean, it's just as uh, Bistrette Miss Gabby, Incredible. she's a new forthcoming writer, okay. Carla Bruce Eddings, and ah, yes. um, there are just so many brilliant voices in here, and I think it's really going to take people by surprise. Barbara Smith, oh wow, yeah, yes, her essays about James Baldwin okay. and how she came into her her like craft and mm -hmm. found the beauty in his writing. Mm -hmm. Everyone has such a like a vastly different story. Tiari Jones writes about encountering, you know, Toni Morrison mm -hmm. as a young woman and. and Spellman and then reading it much later when she was an adult and how it changed her. There's just so many beautiful perspectives. There's Nicole Dennis Ben who talks Aww. about being in Jamaica and finding this book in her library and like packing it with her when she <laughs> came to the United States to become a writer herself. So you really hear the origin stories of each writer and how they became their own person and really found their identity in the words and found the the beauty in it as well. Um, I'm just like really honored that everyone was able to really trust me with this. It was such a like uh, look, me editing Jasmine Ward. What is that? You know, Incredible. like what is Queens that? Queens recognizing Queens, though. <laughs> it was just like it was just so. It's a humbling experience, mm -hmm. and I feel like a very much like a literary midwife that I'm like giving birth to oh, this thing and being um, just being a support system and being like a cheerleader in so many ways. Okay, well, to that point, I mean, uh, just last week I was doing a poetry reading with Pamela Snead. It's yes. wonderful, and there was a young black girl in the audience and high school student. And she asked like about how do I find my voice? Yeah. You seem to have your voice. Um, so, what would you say to any young black girl or woman watching and they go, you know, I love books, I see it, but how do I bridge the gap between my love and becoming a writer? How oh do I become goodness. a writer? Yeah, I think it's so important to sit with it, mm -hmm. to sit with the words, to study it, to really understand craft and research and find things that inspire you, mm -hmm. allow it to influence you, look for your own um, just like your own way to be. Like there were so many times that I was like reading different stories, looking for myself and seeking and asking questions and continue to ask those questions, continue to write things down and put it in practice. I think mm -hmm. these, so many of the stories talk about how they were just resilient and you know wrote to the point where they didn't know what they were writing anymore. They just wanted to get it out. Like it was an emotional calling. They were yearning for, to see themselves and they were yearning to just like be out in the world. And that's what young women have to do. They have to be resilient and persistent don't tell let anyone tell you can't do this and you can't have your own dream. Absolutely, absolutely. I love that you were also working on your own memoir. Yeah. Beautiful, which that's an undertaking, yeah. right? So I wanted to know what was the relationship? Like you said, like you feel like you've been a midwife uh, for this book and, and these stories and writers. What does it feel like to be preparing to share your own story? It's I'm on completely on the other side. I've been... <sighs> I've been committed to this for such a long time and I'm used to advocating for other people. Mm. So now it's time for me to find my own voice. So I've just been in seclusion, quite honestly, mm -hmm. going off of social media, okay. just like sitting and going to writing retreats and trying to figure out what my voice is when I'm not, you know, cheering on others. Like, what does it sound like? What does it feel like? And that's hard, you know, like I'm a reader and I'm, I, I say that first, I'm a reader. And I think you have to be a diligent reader and listener but mm -hmm. to become a solid writer. Mm -hmm. So now when I'm reading Things. I'm looking for, I'm look, studying the sentences, mm -hmm. I'm looking at the craft, I'm looking at how Gloria Naylor told the story, mm -hmm. I'm studying Toni Morrison in a way different way, in a different way than, than I did before. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm being very thoughtful with myself too and patient because I know it's coming together and I know it can, it's going to be beautiful, but I can't rush it. It just has yeah. to be my own creative process. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Well, you know, I feel this is very in kin with the project and, 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 and the 
the, your life mission. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, do you remember a specific moment or essay or writer that kind of turned the key in, in the lock for you? Because oh, clearly, yeah. you know, you've you figured out how to help other people have that experience. Yeah, my one of my favorite poems is by Nikki Giovanni, mm -hmm. and it's called I Am a Mirror. Mm -hmm. And she states in it, you know, I'm the reflection of my mother, my mm -hmm. grandmother, my ancestors. And it was something for me where, like, I feel like the work that I do is very much a reflection. I'm looking at, at the lineage of the writers before me. I'm looking yes. at my family. I'm looking at the people that I want to make proud. And I think it's so important to look at your whole life as a continuum and the words and the experiences and the narratives. And we come from an oral history, you know? I'm, I'm first generation, both my parents are Nigerian. And I, it, I like think so much about my ancestors and where I'm from when I'm writing and when I'm reading too. Like I'm always looking for reflections. Um, so yeah, I, I, that, that's like really important for me to have, be a mirror for other people and to like see myself, but also to like look back, look back and pay tribute mm -hmm. to our, our ancestors. Absolutely, I always say black women are from the future, you know, yes. and like listen to black women. They told us, they warned us, right. and they give us all of the <laughs> gifts. And meeting you this morning, I think we know why. Oh, we thank you. Why. Glory, Sweet. congratulations. So thank thank you, you so much for being with us. Again, Well Read Black Girl is out now. Buy two copies, <laughs> one for yourself, one for your girl, so you can read it together. Stay tuned, Lauren to DM is coming up and Isaac I'm going to read more of your tweets. Oh my god. So it is the first day of November. Um, of course, yesterday was Halloween. Um, I've noticed a bit of debate in the office, so I'm curious. Mm. Are you more excited about Thanksgiving now or Christmas? Because some of y'all are ready to put up lights. I'm excited about both of them. Yeah. And celebrating them in the correct order. <laughs> Thanksgiving's next. <laughs> then after Thanksgiving, the holidays. Go nuts. That's so but if anybody, I'm just thinking about that tree we saw on one of our road trips. I don't even remember. It was oh, a tree that was, tree. yeah, exactly. I'm if anyone's putting up a tree right now, slow your roll. I'm excited about Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving, so for me, it's like Thanksgiving and like Christmas, like whatever, um, and, but I'm really excited about New Year's. It's like, those are, that's those, those are your things to go. That said, we have said this on the show, so I don't want to be too much of an old man. <laughs> uh, it's 2018, do what you gotta do. That's true. If you want to listen to carols, you know, maybe, Headphones with the Christmas music for now, but but do what you gotta do. Just drink some water while you do it, children. Okay, uh, to that point, we've been talking about water all morning. I had to run to the restroom in the middle of the show because I am well hydrated. No me. Uh, wow! Bonnie Mac had this to say, I'm not as extreme as Caroline, but yeah, I rarely drink plain water. I'd rather have something with a flavor. Something with a flavor. Yeah, and I also wanna, I just got a tweet from you, Glenn, and Glenn said, I hate water, diet soda, or nothing. Girl. I worry about you all. Ashley Jones says, I love water. Here okay. we go. Here Amen. we go. I know it's necessary to keep my body in balance, but it's just so refreshing in a glass with ice. I can't fathom someone hating water enough to not drink it ever. Have a nice short life. What? Wow. Have a nice short life. Whoa, Ashley. I was like, yeah. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm feeling uh -huh. you. Whoa. Whoa. That was wild. Watch out. Um, yeah. We do have a liquid themed at us today because we also <laughs> asked if you were a bartender today, <laughs> what cocktail, it's clear that we like need a drink or, or many kinds of drinks. <laughs> what cocktail would you make under pressure? And Max said gin and tonic, classy as fuck. Mm. I could, I, you know, classy as fuck and easy as fuck to make. Let's be honest, Max. <laughs> I just want to say, when you're drinking your cocktail, drink water with it. That's all I'm saying. Emily Johnson says, martini, shaken, not stirred. Wow. That's a I just, I think that's a very difficult drink to that's, make. And I, let me tell you, it is. That's why I went with, like, I was like, could I still make a martini? And I'm like, I don't know if I could. You know that gif of the kid? I think it's from, like, a kid's cooking show, and he's, like, sadly stirring the... <laughs> <laughs> that would be me trying to make a martini. Maybe you'll build up to it, but we'll start we'll with tequila there. shots. We'll get there. Oh, yes. Let's do that. All right. Well, thank you to all of our guests this morning. Maxwell Strawn, Caroline Moss, Nitty Prakash, Alan Leach. All of those queenlers. It was pretty great. Yeah, yeah. Pretty good. Katie Natopoulos, Stephanie McNeil, and Gloria Edom. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. And shout out to Well Red Black Girl. Like, just, if you're talking about Christmas already, you're talking about the holidays. Oh, yes. There's a great purchase. Ooh, just go order it on idea. Amazon or get to your local indie and get it right now. That's a great we are going on the road. Tomorrow, so Neil and David Mack will be here at 10 a.m. We'll miss you, but we'll see you on Twitter. Oh, kisses. Nicest thing I've done all day. <laughs>